Hello and welcome back to the Schooner Pod. I'm your host, Bobby Howard. With me today, as always, we got Jameson. We got Ty. And uh, yeah, we're broadcasting live. So we're here to break down Oklahoma's uh, 27-14 win over Baylor. I think it's a little bit more low scoring than we thought. Uh, A little bit of, you know, some surprises here and there. Definitely not as close as the score indicated. Baylor scored a you know garbage time touchdown with a minute left, um, but definitely a lot to dive in here. Uh, we're also going to break down the West Virginia game coming up on Saturday, uh, as well as some other Army Navy stuff um, because it's Army Navy week. You know, we're, it's it's their week. We're just playing in it. Um, but um, anyways, let's just get down to it. Kind of the big question of this week is. Are we really worried about this offense? What what happened to it? And you know, what are the reasons why this offense, which has absolutely been clicking since uh, Texas, really stalled? Um, Jameson, what what when you really look at this game, what do you really kind of point to as why this offense kind of sputtered? We didn't really expect this because we weren't missing a ton of guys on the offensive end. But um, uh, yeah, what's your diagnosis on this? Yeah, I'll say the nice answer first. I think the nice answer is we shut down our um, our team for a little while, and Lincoln was a lot more stressed when it came down to figuring out what's going to happen on the defensive side of the ball. Like we had Robert Barnes of the safety, I'm sure, put a lot of his emphasis and time looking on how he was going to make that work um, and didn't put as much um, strategizing into the offense because the majority of them were healthy. So he kind of just said the offense will be fine. Let's worry about the defense. The mean answer is it, I, that O line just looked horrible. Like it made it made Ramondre Stevenson look like he was doing nothing, and that's just not right. I, it's hard for me to put it on Ramondre when I feel like he had no holes to run up, and I feel like he was always getting hit. You know, either behind the, uh, the line of scrimmage or at the line of scrimmage. It was honestly just embarrassing. Another embarrassing game for them, and I, I don't understand why they were all healthy. It it really is kind of inexcusable and out of nowhere. Um, we, we've had some solid performances. I don't think they've been immaculate by any means, but nothing quite like that. Um, you know, the running game, almost impossible to get going, uh, which is, at this point, I think the lifeblood of this OU offense. Ty, looking at that game, uh, what, did, what did you see that really hindered that OU offense? Yeah, I, I, think, uh, I think maybe to, to touch on some of the stuff that Jameson said, it was not what we were expecting. I think maybe and probably I don't know if any Baylor fans well I guess Boaten Blake uh, Baylor student um will listen to this but it's like he I guess you got to give Baylor some credit but it's it's really I, I think the only really thing I have to add is just touching on what Jameson said about about Stevenson I we kind of use him uh not fully to his strengths we kind of use him as a you know just main dude all the time every situation he definitely has certain strengths, and that's that real uh, short yardage and, and power running and stuff. And he's he's really improved, but we are having to use some weapons maybe in areas where they're not supposed to be used. Um, and there was just a lot of drops as well on on both sides, uh, including guys that don't normally drop the ball. There was just watching on TV; it seemed like there was a ton of of uh, receivers just dropping stuff that they should have caught. Uh, so I don't know what was going on there, but that's. That's definitely a factor as well. Absolutely. And Lincoln definitely harped on Oklahoma's failure to prepare for Baylor's defense and prepare for Baylor in general. And I think when you really look at it, something I forgot about completely, Dave Aranda 
you know, obviously was uh, LSU's defensive coordinator, a team that had great success against us last year on the defensive side of the ball. And, you know, look, the, the personnel he has at Baylor, definitely not the same as LSU by a long shot. However, the schemes, the way they work, that all can be implemented and used against o- Oklahoma. And you see a lot of those things that, you know, really worked for LSU also worked well for Baylor here. So I think you got to give uh, the head coach credit. I've been on Aranda all season long saying he's a bad head coach. Um, you know, and maybe he might be a bad overall head coach, but this game, he was a hell of a defensive coordinator, I think. Yeah, you, you got to give him credit. I mean, it's, it's you know, they're obviously not – their win-loss is not great this year. They haven't been a great team this year, um, which, you know, no no discredit or disrespect to them. They just lost um, a great coach to, to the NFL. Um, so, it, you know, they're going to – uh, they're going to have a drop off, but I think we do have to some, you know, they wasn't completely just us messing up. They did at least defensively really, really prepare well uh, offensively, maybe not so much because they were facing a lot of third string guys and doing nothing. So it was to talk about that. Good God. Uh, offensively Baylor was just a mess. I, I don't know if uh, the defense has been great all year long uh, for Oklahoma, but you know, defense or offensively Baylor was just flat. Um, so Jameson, how much does that really boil down to the defense having a great night versus Baylor being garbage on offense? Eh, I feel like a little both for the cop-out answer. Uh, you know, I, I really like Rasad Asamoa. He's been kind of having a, a bad couple of stretch with his um, COVID protocols and the games he played were a little bad. Uwebu had another solid night at the linebacker position. The DL, we don't even have to talk about it. You know, it's just good every single week. And there's really nothing much to it. It's that consistent. And the D-backs, you know, we saw some good play from DJ Graham, who came in the true freshman, had that interception. That was a really cool moment. Um, then our cornerbacks played decent. For all in all, like, there really wasn't much that stood out on the defensive end. I will say this. We really go big on Buki. And Jeremiah Cradell, we kind of harp for, but Jeremiah Cradell just doesn't show the flash that Buki does. And it, I, I would rather have Buki out there 100%. Mm, I don't I mean, know. This is I, our best defensive performance of the year, and he wasn't there. It was also yeah. against Baylor, though. That, that was a yeah, pretty but, popular team. But what, we what did about, better what than about we did Kansas? Kansas? Kansas, we, we gave up, uh, what, was it like three points until the last play of the game? True. True. It was also one of the uh, funniest Buki games. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> all, all I'm saying is, yeah, we harp on Buki for the big, the big moments. And I'm not excusing that, but Jeremiah Cradell just does not have the flash that I feel like you need at that nickel position, and it's not really, you know, it's not popping off the page for me. I, I really wish that we could have saw a guy like Justin Harrington, if y'all remember him, the JUCO transfer, the six foot four ish, you know, like speedy. Um, guy that would be perfect for that position. Like he would be inserted in that slot, and he probably would have taken the job by Buki from Buki by now. But he had the ACL tear. There's just not a lot of other options at that nickel position. And Jeremiah Cradell, just I feel like you just need to be a little bit either smarter on top of things or a bigger athlete. And Cradell is he's kind of middle ground. Yeah, he just he just doesn't like you said just doesn't really pop. Buki for all of his faults comes out there. You know, works his ass off, has a good game most times when he's not making mistakes. It, everything you can say bad about Buki is all extracurricular. 
You know, if you actually look at his play, look mm. at his toughness. I mean, yeah, he, mm. he, he, he straight up gets burned a lot. Not not as often as he used to. He's gotten better about that. I, I feel like we've seen him get burnt a lot less. I think I think just a lot of the taller receivers have left. Definitely. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's that's just you know he, he'll he'll get mossed a lot, but um, <laughs> in, ter- in terms of effort, in terms of staying with a guy, he, he's he's been better about that this year. I think. Um, mm-hmm. So th- there's that for him. Um, let's go on to game balls, offense, defense. Uh, let's start with offense. So not a spectacular week here. Um, but you know, there, there were some, there were some, uh, you know, solid performers. Uh, Ty, I'll let you start on this one. Who you, uh, who are you giving the game ball to this week? Well, I, so sorry, I picked it out and then I forgot real quick. Okay. Um, so mine, uh, I, I was bouncing between two, two receiver options. Um, one seemed to sort of like I was trying to be edgy, uh, and obvious, and that would be Drake Stoops, uh, because he, he had some mistakes, but there was a lot of plays where he was clearly the, either the, the one that it was designed for him to pass to off of, uh, you know, various plays. And he, he only had, I think one completed reception, uh, but was out there just grinding, from the start, like you, that dude's like five minutes into the game, his Jersey was like ripped and just torn up. Um, but I don't want to give it to, to Drake. Uh, what I think I want to give it to is Braden Willis, um, for going out there, stepping up getting some, some receptions. I think this was his season high on receptions. Um, and I just like to give it to guys, um, you know, that maybe don't have super high expectations and, and step up. So, Try to be a little different with mine, but uh, that's mine for offensively this week. Yeah, particularly with his, you know, issues with COVID, his injury. Um, you know, him getting out there and really getting a very, you know, pretty solid game there. You know, yeah, give it, give it up to Willis. I'm going to go with the guy that we kind of have called on to really show up, and I think he did kind of show up uh, this game. Uh, Theo Weiss uh, tied for the lead in receptions, most among wide receivers, 66 yards, one touchdown. Uh, long of 25. I thought he was a very solid, reliable, uh, you know, option at wide receiver there. Um, and again, you know, there's not a lot to pick from. We're kind of picking from scraps here. Uh, so I'm going to go with Theo. Jameson? I have zero idea. Um, Theo, my problem with him is his biggest problem with us this year is he drops big plays, drops touchdowns. He had another drop, even though he had a touchdown. It's hard for me to give a guy who dropped a touchdown. Um, Braden Willis, it, the thing is, with out Stogner out there, I feel like the offensive line is hurting even more because Stogner is such a valuable blocker. And then when Braden Willis on the line, you can tell that he was recruited as a wide receiver. He was not recruited as a true tight end. His blocking is definitely a couple steps down. Um, I feel like he didn't help out our offensive line. Even though he got the touchdown, I wouldn't give it to him. I'll just give it to Spencer Rattler. I know he threw an interception, but you know he looked like the most regular person out there. Fair enough. Hey, fair enough. You know, I I wanted to give it to Rattler a little bit. But that pick just not a great one. Really stuck yeah. in my. Just- you have you have a high expectation from Sooners quarterbacks, and that was not a game where he deserved any of it. The problem is, I would I you normally I think of just someone obscure. You know, like you did really well this game on the offensive line, or like like a good blocking wide receiver. Drake Stoops only caught one catch. It's hard for me to do that, even though you know he gives his effort. Um, but it, it's it's hard. Just in general, we just got to take away our biases of past OU quarterbacks and past OU performances. 
at the quarterback position if we're going to give the game ball to somebody on offense. Yeah, hey, fair enough, fair enough. Um, moving on to the defense side of the ball, game balls. Um, I don't know. This this one I think should be a sweep, but I, I've, every time I think it's a sweep, I'm usually wrong. Ty, who do you got for your defensive game ball? Yeah, so I think um... – I, again, I, I tried to be really different on the on the um, offense, but I got to go kind of the obvious one here uh, defensively, and that's that's DTY. Um, he was, you know, he he really stepped up with a very very decimated defense. I'm sure if I really rewatch the game tape, you know, maybe we could pick out some some guys uh, that stepped into roles that you would assume they're not prepared for. Uh, I don't know how much of that was also Baylor just being abysmal, but but DTY, I think we would expect him to really step up um, as sort of a more recognizable name with a very decimated defense uh, because of COVID. And he really did, uh, you know, it wasn't a perfect game. I don't think it was a perfect game for anyone, uh, but he, he did what he needed to do and, and stepped up and uh, that's important. So he's going to be mine kind of obvious, but yeah. Hey, fair enough. Uh, I, I was actually thinking of a different guy who had a little bit more flash off the stat sheet, but Turner Yell really did tie together that uh, secondary really well, and I think that's a really good pick. I'm going to go with Isaiah Thomas, IT, uh, two and a half sacks, three tackles for loss, four solos. Uh, we've praised Ronnie Perkins a ton, as well as Perrion Winfrey, but we forget about the third member of that defensive line, and that's I mean, I, Isaiah Thomas, absolute beast. The guy uh, tore it up again. Uh, he's been a bit of an unsung hero from what I've seen, uh, from what we talk about on our stuff. Um, but uh, Alex Grinch said he's his defensive player of the year. So um, for the big 12, which is, uh, you know, very high praise. Um, but he brought his hard hat, had a very excellent game on defense. Yeah. And I would agree. Isaiah Thomas has been the most consistent guy this whole year. He's had a good game almost every single time he stepped on the field. And we've seen, we've seen that we said in the preseason that we needed him to step up with Ronnie Perkins out. And it was honestly just crazy to think that a guy who barely played in these games, any snaps before this came in and he's playing like the big 12 defense player of the year. Um, so yeah, he deserves the game ball, but let's give a theoretical game ball as well to the guy who actually got the defensive game ball in the game and Robert Barnes shifting from linebacker to safety, didn't have too many hiccups, looked like it was fine on, on all ends for him. And I understand that Charlie Brewer and Baylor did not challenge the safeties too much in this game, but whenever you didn't give any, anything up bad and you're a linebacker playing safety, you got to give him praise there. Absolutely. You know, having to play out of position that far, you know, that, I mean, that's that's wild. That's wild. Um, so really great work from Barn, Barnes there. Uh, overall, really well fleshed out defensive performance. I'm very happy with it. Um, if you if you look at the you know the stats, uh, this is the first time in God knows how long that OU is top twenty in both offense and defense uh, in terms of uh, total offense, total defense. So remarkable performance uh, from Grinch and the crew. But Baylor, it's done. It's over with. I think for uh, all of us, I can say, thank goodness, that game was garbage. Throw it in the trash. Let's move on to West Virginia, uh, a game we've already re- or previewed. <laughs> Just pull it over. We're not going <laughs> to change anything. We're, we go, oh, let's, re- let's go after West Virginia. Yeah, oh, that Daggy guy's pretty good. Oh, we're going to West Virginia, so that might impact the travel. Oh, um, maybe the weather has changed since then. Bobby, you got an idea? 
it's going to be colder. It will be colder. Uh, uh, as we can see, it's going to be an 11 a.m. game. So, you know, maybe. Oh, know. so no snow game. So no, maybe no snow game. I don't know. Uh, a, a lot of it, clearly a lot's changed with West Virginia. Uh, they got whopped by uh, Iowa State since then. So, yeah. Nothing's really changed. It's- also, it doesn't it doesn't matter. So, like, you know, in in theory, not saying I would do this because I care about the the West Virginia game, but we could just claim that we have COVID and not go. Hey, fair enough. I was uh, Ohio State's doing fine enough doing that. Yeah, we could have played zero games. We could have played. We could have blown out whoever it was, like Montana State or whoever it was that we played, and then just coasted the rest of the season to the playoffs that's what we should have done it, if, it, if this game doesn't matter you know why not play it because we're not trying to like save our record is the thing we already have yeah but out there and who guys, cares if we get three come on let you get i'll let you go I, I'm just, I'm just saying. Iowa State jumped up to seven. You know, Tennessee beats Texas A&M because they have one loss or two losses. Oh crap! Two, two losses. losses. Yeah. yeah, I'm saying oh it's God. possible. Okay, <laughs> if, if Iowa State beats us again, do they have a playoff pass? They do. I think Iowa State. Well, yeah, I, I think. Well, it would any playoff pass would require Texas A&M losing to Tennessee, which probably won't happen. Can we take a quick? Can we take a quick sort of diversion here? What's up uh, for a, for a very plausible conspiracy theory of mine? Fair enough. Is did, it possible? Last week. Is it possible? I'm not saying we deliberately infected people, but <laughs> is it possible that OU just somehow? Because we have been almost completely unaffected by COVID all season. We've had one or two cases here and there. Never any super key people. Um, and then all the people that have had it, like Spencer, that are, are key, had it before the season. So we have a lot of dudes, or prior to this week, we had a lot of guys that were still susceptible to COVID that were pretty key in a bigger game. Like this defense that we played with, outstanding job, probably not going to cut it against Iowa State or in the bowl game. Is it possible maybe that somehow people you know, just happen to get COVID right now because uh, this was our last chance. Jameson just muted his mic. I'm not sure if you guys can see this because he's laughing. I don't want any commentary on this. I'm just saying this is – you guys got to pay attention. The globalists are in charge of college football. Okay. Okay. <laughs> They're putting COVID in the water. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, West Virginia fans listening to us right now are like, get the West Virginia analysis on. We need to hear it right now. I, wanna, I, I don't want to hear about these global conspiracy theories anymore. I hear I, enough. I've listened. I've been listening to Alex Jones all day long. I've heard enough of that. Oh my goodness! Anyways, I, I'm just that's saying, my like, ultimate goal. I really, my ultimate goal, my end game is for the Schooner Pod to be the info wars of college football. <laughs> we're hey, we're already on the right path. I've been I've been the biggest two loss OU advocate. Out here. We're, we're already basically there. Uh, speaking of COVID, though, remember the very start of the season, game number two, when we were all worried about. Kansas State not having enough people. If that game gets shifted, this is a one-loss OU team. Okay. Is this a one-loss OU team? I just feel like this is a one-loss OU team. If, if, well, if, duh. Like, yeah. like we would have shifted that game to the end of the season, therefore we didn't okay, play. But, but if, if, if we beat Iowa State in the championship, we are essentially in everyone's eyes a one-loss team again. I mean, I'm not saying we're going to go to the playoffs because of it, but yeah. like – no, the, the Jameson, I'm not I'm not saying that it's gonna change our sort of 
trajectory whatsoever. What I'm saying is like we have a lot of players that are very significant that weren't there, like Perkins and Stevenson. Um, and then we go back and, and beat that team. I think you show clear improvement. It's not going to matter because we're not, you know, in the discussion for the playoffs. But I, I do, I would see this team as essentially a one-loss team. Yes, I'm not trying to give Bobby sort of ammo here. You legitimately but. took exactly what direction I was going to go do, Bobby. I was about to say, Bobby's like, Good, I see the fear in you. Come over to the dark side. Come, exactly. Come to the homer side. No, I mean I'm not I'm not saying I'm not saying that whatsoever. I, I think we do have the best chance of the Big Twelve, but it's not with Notre Dame in the ACC this year, I think it's just not gonna happen. Hey, guys, I think even if even if Clemson loses again, they're guys, still in. We should before we move on to Creighton Corner and uh, other stuff. I'd actually like to address some podcast business uh, live on the air with everyone. So <laughs> it's come to my attention that you that that uh, uh, someone on Cameo is available for forty dollars, uh, forty forty to fifty dollars. We we have around forty to fifty in our anchor account. Uh, Houston no. Nut, Houston Nut can, <laughs> on Cameo. Is going for fifty bucks. Should we use that money to get Houston Nut to record no. an intro? No, no, because I'm Houston Nut. You're listening no, to Schooner Pod. One, one, I don't. <laughs> one, I don't think they do promotional stuff because I looked into this. I, I think there is like they'll they'll do like birthday messages and stuff, but they won't like you can't like get a commercial for forty dollars. Uh, but also, I think there's some better people that we could do. Houston, who's better than Houston Nut? No, like it doesn't even have to be like related to college football. Like we can get like we can get like something crazy. I don't know. Houston Nut would be pretty good. I'm pretty if sure John not gonna do an on endorsement. There. If yeah, well, you know how much that's going to be. If he feels not going to do an endorsement, we just get Bobby's editing skills and just say, "Hey, I'm Houston Nut." And you're listening to the robot voice. Can we just invite Houston Nut on the podcast? The Nut Pod? Oh, we can. We can, yeah. You could say no, but uh, anyways. Well, I don't know. Or I, he I, could I just might, ghost us, which is might, more likely. Probably. I, I'm just – I don't know. I might shoot my shot, try to get my nut, <laughs> get our nut. Oh, my goodness. This is just a fun fact. Fun fact, we haven't spoken about West Virginia other than making fun of them the whole time. Oh, no, we did a whole preview on them, so we have some time to, to sort of spare. Oh, oh, the guys from Shark Tank are not that expensive. Oh, Kevin is pretty expensive. We could get Mark Cuban, though. Mark Cuban? Mark Cuban anyway. did one for free, I saw. That, hey, hey he, could, he could support the podcast. We could get Chris Tucker... Okay. There's yeah, a lot well, of good options. Here. There are options. There are options. Uh, you know who's probably furious? Iowa State for not mention us for us not mentioning really that we have a re, uh, a rematch against them. Um, you know they're probably listening we in to see what we have to say for that. We I know. Week for Iowa that. State week's going to be good, and if I I don't know, I, I think we need to find some way to like open up a like Iowa State fan hotline to have them just start ripping us. I don't know. Oh my goodness. We could get Floyd Mayweather. For how much? A thousand dollars? Yeah, no, I, I that would take like <laughs> I'd take like fifty years of anchor money to get there, if that. Um, let's we move could on. take a small business loan. <laughs> Good God. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to uh, crew corner. Now, as we mentioned last week, 
really, really big week for the Sooners. Um, kind of a bit of a Sooner, Sooner Summit. Uh, I said both of those words completely wrong. Kind of a Sooner Summit Part 2. Uh, Caleb Williams having um, some very big names. And um, Jameson, I think he can run us down. But before I do that, we got to hit the dang music, don't we? There it is. Jamison. Yes. What is this? Jamison. This is a rooted corner with Jamison. Every morning dancing. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, it was it was a great weekend. Uh, we got Mekeg Buka into town, which honestly we thought was the biggest, you know, stretch. Come if you would ask me a couple weeks ago if there was any shot he was coming in town, I said no way. He's signing with uh, Ohio State. But we got him in town, and plus we had more people come, too, with him. You know, we had uh, Tristan Lee as well, a guy that we didn't think was going to get in town. In the last second, he got a flight out here, came out. So Tristan Lee, Emeka Egbuha, Caleb Williams, Colin Montgomery, Isaiah Coe came in. So we had we had a good squad. Um, and so three five-stars got to hang out together. And the biggest deal about Emeka Egbuha coming into town is he came in earlier than all of them. Caleb Williams, since he, he has an apartment there in Norman now, stayed there. They hung out and they went out for about an hour and threw on their like on a random field in Norman. And allegedly, it was they said it was just like a connection that was just like just natural. They're, they they were just friends even though they had never met in person. Um, really easy to talk to each other. Um, Mecca knew where he was going with throwing the ball. It, it, everything just felt great. So stellar reviews all through all the way through from the Emeka Ibuka's family and him as well. He was very, very happy. And today, as in Tuesday, he said he is announcing on December 11th, which is this coming Friday of his school of his choosing. That was coming off right after his visit with us. He has not visited Ohio State, who is the second contender um, in a while. So you kind of got to read the tea leaves here. And you also, you got a couple of rivals, big time riders, you know, big Josh McQuiston and then the, uh, the biggest rivals just site recruitment guy also um, giving uh crystal ball forecasts to uh, OU for a Mecca So this is the number one wide receiver in the country. If people haven't been following in the past, this guy is legitimate. And like I said, on the last week's pod could be a Jaden Hazelwood last minute situation where he comes into the vote after thinking we had no shot with him the whole year. So moving on from that, let's just talk about what dates every one of our top targets are announcing on, just for y'all to know. And then next week, we'll have a special Curtain Corner only episode before signing um, early signing day, which is on next Wednesday. And uh, next Wednesday would be the 16th. And uh, we will do that and we'll kind of throw in every everything about every single recruit that we think we can get and that is already in our vote. So Emeka Egbuka, December 11th, this coming Friday, he's going to announce between us and Ohio State, we seem to be the leader after this visit. Uh, next guy, next big time guy up that's announcing, um, Savion Bird is going to announce on early signing day of December 16th. It looks like it's going to be us versus SMU. Um, he was supposed to come in town for the Sooner Summit Part 2 uh this weekend but he did not make it in that is concerning but you know if we don't get him he's a very very high-end four-star recruit former five-star but it's it's not the worst if we don't get him because we're getting five stars in the boat right now bryce foster five-star according to rivals count he's committing on december 18th two days after early signing day so he'd be signing his um letter early secretly and then announcing a couple days later on his own day um it's us versus a&m 
big time A and M legacy. Hopefully, he doesn't creep back there. But um, we've been the leader for him for a long time. So if everything holds up, we should be good. Um, Kamar Wheaton on December twenty third. Uh, we seem to be the leader there. He announced his top two of us versus Alabama. So things are looking pretty good for us on that end. Um, and then lastly, the last um, big target that's announcing is um, January 2nd for Tristan Lee. He'll be announcing at the All-American game, and we seem to be in the best position out of all of those recruits I just said right now in, with Tristan Lee, the five-star offensive tackle from Virginia. So looking really, really good for recruiting Oklahoma-wise. And if everything falls away, this could turn into a top three class. Uh, absolutely. Um, everything you mentioned, the, the Abuka thing came out of nowhere. Um, and, you know, really a situation that kind of developed as the weekend went on. Uh, you saw some random Ohio State people be like, he looked uninterested on Instagram Live, and, you know, whatever. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> either way, if that turned out for uh, Oklahoma, I mean, absolutely massive. Um, and, you know, it's really showing the importance and the power of Caleb Williams. Uh, and he's going to be crucial in that uh, Tristan Lee thing as well, because they're both from the DMV area, you know, out in D.C. So would be huge. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a really fun um, probably month to go until we see all of these guys commit. But it's this is going to be a good class no matter what happens because, you know, the majority – if I name, what, five people there, I, I can confidently say we're at least getting three, you know, and we should get five or four. Yeah, which is, you know, honestly great position to be in, uh, especially after kind of some of our rougher – tougher, um, you know, recruitment woes over the past decade. We've gotten better since then, but a top five class is something we have not reached uh, in the Riley era uh, and have not touched in probably 15 years. So it would be massive. It would certainly be massive. Um, moving on. Um, oh, okay. So we are, an, we are an OU podcast, as you all know. Uh, but every year we take the time to look into uh, what is truly one of the nation's greatest traditions, Army-Navy football. Uh, and um, even though there are other games being played this week, we really want to focus on uh, what is truly a great game. Uh, we're going to pick it, but uh, Ty, uh, if, if there's anything you want to kind of drop about Army-Navy, uh, take it away. Yeah, let's do a quick, you know, few-minute preview. I'm not going to announce my picks here, uh, but just just some, you know, preview looking forward like we kind of do for the OU games. So this game is is significant, obviously. Uh, we try to not focus on it too much, but, but COVID has really changed college football. Uh, and for this game, it's, it's quite interesting. So Army-Navy is traditionally played much like uh, OU Texas at a, a neutral site that's relatively uh, equidistant from each campus, uh, which is Philadelphia. Um, Navy being in Annapolis, Maryland, on, on the coast of Maryland, and then Army being in, in West Point, New York, which is uh, sort of an hour north of, of New York City. Uh, I'm not sure how New York works. Uh, but anyways, so this game got moved to Army. Uh, they have um, sort of the least COVID restrictions on them. So Army is, is going to be able to host both full student bodies, which uh, I think sits around somewhere between the five to 8,000 uh, student range per university or, or per academy. Uh, so this will be interesting because both student bodies will get to go. Uh, Navy with, with Maryland's COVID restrictions has not been able to, to really host uh, fans for their home games. So 
this will be sort of, a, I guess, important for the uh, for the midshipmen of Navy uh, as they'll be able to, to see this. This is only the third, it's either the third or fourth time um, ever that this game is being played at West Point. Uh, it's almost always a, a neutral site game. So that's a, you know, there's historical significance there. I believe the last time it was played at West Point uh, was in the 1940s uh, when both of these teams were, were really, really good. So uh, I'll, we'll touch on this more in the, uh, in the pick and pod that you guys should definitely listen to. But the line is six and a half, seven points um, in favor of Army. This is a very, very good Army team. we got to give a lot of credit to uh, Jeff Munkin, Army's head coach. Uh, I'm sure you guys remember Army nearly beating OU uh, a few years ago, and, and they were actually on OU's schedule this year. Um, and, and looking at this OU team at the start of the season, uh, I don't know if OU would have won that game. I certainly would not have reliably bet on it. But uh, this is a traditional service academy game, uh, so don't expect a lot of forward passes. Uh, but there might be some big plays, uh, might be some big plays and it'll definitely be exciting to watch. There's a lot of fanfare. So I definitely encourage you guys to, to tune into, uh, both the pick and pod to hear our, our takes on this game. And then also, uh, the game itself, it's a really neat sort of American tradition and, and college football tradition as well that with, with all the ceremony and, and the, you know, the pomp and ceremony surrounding it. And then also just the play on the field, uh, it's almost like looking through a, uh, a time machine back at, at college football in the olden days. So, uh, yeah, definitely. I encourage you guys to tune into that and into our pick them for some more analysis game wise. Yeah. It's- also, uh, tune into the, or, or check out the, the schooner pod, um, on Instagram, Insta schooner. Uh, we'll throw up some pictures of the uniforms for the teams this year. That's always a, a really interesting, uh, thing as well. So Insta schooner, all lowercase, all one word. Uh, definitely check that out as well. Ty, before we move on, who won the inst- uh, the um, uniform battle this year? You think? Uh, I don't know. So, so this year, I'll, I'll throw it up there. I think it's absolutely Navy. They went with a uh, – I actually toured the Naval Academy and it did a summer program there as well. Uh, there's a lot of – it's very, you know, white marble and, and very ornate, opulent uh, campus that our tax dollars are paid for. Um, but they went with a marble-inspired uniform this year that I think is really solid. Army went with like a a flat green, um, you know, because they always pay tribute to stuff. But it's Navy. I think absolutely blew them out of the water. Navy's had some really weird no runs in the past. What's up? I said no pun intended. Yeah, and Navy's had some weird ones in the past. They had that one that they had like cartoon ships painted on the side of the helmets. And uh, some other stuff that has not been up to par with Army. Army's had some awesome ones, like the all-black ones. But, yeah, check out the Insta for some, uh, some uniform. Uh, I'll throw up some, some highlights of the past ones as well, and then uh, this year's. Absolutely. Well, that's all we have for this week. We'll see you, uh, if you're listening on podcast, we'll see you on uh, Friday when we drop our Pick'em pod. Uh, but if you're watching live, we're about to pick. So, um, guys, here's the part of the show where I feudally ask if you have anything else to say. Anyone? Nope. Okay. Well, for me, Jameson and Ty, this has been the Schooner Pod. Thank you so much for uh, listening. Uh, We're almost through this season together. So thank you so much for listening the whole way through. And uh, we'll see you next time when we make our picks. Until then. Hi, Gary. Until then, have a good one. Boomer Sooner. 